Yes, guys, tonight on our radar, we've got producer Dean Glover. Dean works out at the legendary Vibe Studios in Cheetah Mill, owned by Martin Coogan. Hey, Dean, how you doing, mate? I'm all right, how are you, man? I'm good, I'm good. Let's crack on with talking about uh, some of the guys that you work with. So, Twisted Wheel, Roots Maneuver, The Ventrelles, Outcharms, Tino Kane, and The Blinders, to name a few. To name a few, yeah, some good ones there. Definitely. So when did is it, you, uh, is it vent, Ventrelles or Ventrelles? That's what I, I have on my folders at Vibe. I put the Ventrelles, but Phil was like, no, it's just Ventrelles. But I don't, I'm not even sure, 100% sure if that's how you pronounce it. So you might be right. You might be right. <laughs> Do you know something? Phil is actually um, my mum's godson. Is he rich? Uh, Do you know what? There's so many mad links that he says that like, we've only started, when was it now? I think it was like, about halfway through, well, not last year because last year was right off, wasn't it? But it was recently, anyway, when we started working together, and all the things he's kind of covering and mentioning, people he's mentioning, and stuff where he's kind of been at and things he's done. It's like, oh yeah, I was there. Oh yeah, I know him. It's like he's got so many links back to like me and what I've kind of been through. It's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit weird how we've only just kind of started working together, really. Jesus, but yeah, I, I think you are actually right. I think they are the ventrals, aren't they? <laughs> um, so, did you work with him on his most recent single? Yeah, that was uh, County Lines, yeah. Yeah. When I first spoke to him, he had like a few things he'd recorded in various parts of the world. And the first thing was just kind of like mix them together and see if he was on the same wavelength, really. But I kind of persuaded him to kind of just get the, the band into vibe and just start some fresh tracks off, really. So, County Lines was the first one we did. And I'm sure I don't want to give the game away or anything, but I know there's the, the next single that's coming out was one of them tunes where when you kind of listen to it in the studio and like the lyrics and his vocal and how he's delivering it, and it was like that's that's some some heavy stuff. So the County Lines one that's out now is really good, and a lot of people messaged me actually saying how, how much they enjoyed it. But the second one, I think, will top the first one in my opinion. Good, yeah. No, County Lines was a great tune, and I think they did the video in Heaton Park as well, didn't they? But Yes, yeah, he said there was a new tune coming out in a couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. They're all good off. Well, we've done three together. I think might be doing more. I'm not too sure yet, but yeah, the second one is definitely well. The third one as well. Just keep improving with everyone, which is not a bad thing. Not at all. And uh, of course, the blinders. When did you work with the blinders? Then uh, the first time they went into a studio, I think, when they did the first EP. And they were just kind of like, I think that was kind of like when I worked with them then, they was pretty young. And after we'd done those recordings, I went to a couple of the gigs afterwards. And then I think I was playing in one of my bands a couple of years after that. And I seen them again. I think it was on the same, I think it was Black Form Festival. It was both on there. And I watched them again. And it was mad to kind of see where they come from when I seen them. I think it was in the Salford Arms, a year, like 2016, maybe, maybe even before that. And then to see them again, like a couple of years later on a festival stage. That's just a band who just kind of grew and progressed into something that you couldn't, you can kind of see it, but it was still a bit of a shock to be like, wow, that's these same three kids from Doncaster have just done what they've done, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I love the, um, I love the sound and talking about Doncaster, of course, the Outcharms as well. Yeah, hopefully, snow and weather permitting, we'll be in tomorrow with the Outcharms doing some, uh, oh shit, uh, socially distanced recording sessions tomorrow. So. But yeah, the outchimes are cool. They, 
they're one of those bands when they come into the studio, they, they pretty much know what they're doing. And Ross, the guitarist, is one of the most spot on musicians I've worked with in a long time. He literally comes in and he's like, right, I'm going to put an acoustic down and then right, I'm going to put another acoustic down, but with a capo on the seventh fret and I'm, I know all, and he just nails it first time every time. So it's always an easy afternoon when those lads are in. <laughs> yeah, the set lads as well. We've had them on the podcast a couple of times and uh, yeah, really love the tunes. Yeah, man, they are good. And I saw recently that Tino Kane's back in the studio as well. Yeah, Tino's got some. Tino's just got, he has all these songs in his phone and then he's like, I've got this song and I've got that one. I want to do this one. I want to do that one. And then when he ends up coming into the studio, it's like, which one's this? So I just wrote it last night. <laughs> so we've got to be kind of got to be on the ball a little bit with Tino but he's another one who comes in he knows what he wants to do he's got the kind of ideas in his head he puts a bit of responsibility in and trust in me and Ben as well and drums to just kind of do what we're doing I know he's been doing a bit of pre-production and other like kind of production for his next thing with Rory as well Rory Birch Raw Materials he's like another close man he's part of the little mini crew that we've got yeah so yeah well, I mean, Tino, I was, again, I was talking to him on the podcast and he was sort of saying if he collaborates with anyone, he'll always let them write a lyric. So he's collaborated with, I mean, his bandmate, Matthew Holland from All The Kingsmen. He did uh, one of the songs on the album and also uh, Katie O'Malley duetted, didn't she, on um, on one of his tunes? Yeah, she came into vibe. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's, that's what he's into. He's just, just collabing. That's what all of us are pretty kind of, have, have been working on and kind of doing socially and work-wise for like years now where we've all just kind of been in each of us bands and working with each other recording and like rehearsing so the thing that Tino's doing where he's just getting people in and he's just kind of recruiting people who he thinks would work well on certain songs that's what I think he's quite he's got a good ear for where he's kind of bringing the, the right kind of styles together if that makes sense yeah and it, it means that like throughout the course of his album stylistically the tunes change up a bit don't they as well I like it I like the uh, I like the different vibes going on well that's that is interesting that people have, have given that kind of feedback because I was I'm always about kind of keeping things consistent and bringing things together and work on one song linked to the next song let's let's try and highlight those bits so it's it is interesting when people say oh it's such a varied sound and stuff like that where I'm always the one who's trying to like no let's let's do that what we did in the last tune or let's keep that guitar sound because it was cool that kind of thing yeah and you just mentioned then uh, Roddy Birch Raw Materials um, I've got into Jace Campbell over the last week and I think he's produced that tune hasn't he Lost yeah Rory's got um, the spot in Rochdale he's, he's like kind of collaborative studio space and he's, he's been getting people in there yeah, Jace is someone else, the next generation of artists who just does a big long list of us all, really, who all kind of move in the same circles. So talking about those circles and how did you become a producer at, I'm guessing, such a young age? Um, it was when, basically, it was just kind of from being in a band, being in a rehearsal room and not wanting to kind of spend loads of money on going into the studio all the time. So it was just kind of, if I learn a little bit of how to kind of do it all right, then, and then that just kind of led to kind of more and improved equipment. And then that led to kind of bigger rooms that we kind of, you know what I mean, targeted for the, the purposes of recording, like the big room in Vibe, 
the live room there. We we recorded in there. I think it was in two thousand and nine. And then like a couple of years later, we said to Martin, can we lend that room? Took all our equipment in. And then that just kind of led to me doing work in there anyway. So it was a pretty kind of predictable route into it where you start as a guitarist in a band. But it was after a bit like a good friend of mine, Tommy's band at the time, when he was only like 17, 18. I was recording them. So it just kind of it came natural to kind of lend your skills to other bands and other artists rather than just your own band. And, I suppose that's what leads to being a producer, really. Yeah, and like you say, um, Vibe Studios, Martin Coogan, Steve's older brother, he owns Vibe Studio. What was it like working with him? Well, when I first started, um, Martin was kind of like, he was still doing a lot of engineering, a lot of producing. So I was learning all sorts of little tricks and I learned a lot of technical things but I also learned a lot of valuable kind of people skills and time management skills and what to do and what not to do with like getting the artists comfortable and stuff like that so it was an interesting and useful schooling to work under Martin and then he just naturally kind of he's just kind of doing what he's doing he's got his own little studio at his house so I know he does lots of like Alan Partridge stuff still, like this new series that's coming out. I know he's done that. I know he's done did bits on the film. So Martin's busy with his other things and he's happy to kind of let me keep the studio ticking over and kind of doing what I'm doing in there. So I am quite lucky in that respect. So I am grateful and thankful for Martin because the opportunity that he kind of gave me to work in five was a big one, but I'm, yeah. One of my uh, favourite albums of 2020, and I've just literally started revisiting it over the last couple of weeks, was Twisting Wheel, Satisfying Ritual. Have you yeah. got any stories from the studio? That's a deep album, that. That is, is a deep album. That's, I don't know, we, we all learned a lot about how, kind of how to put an album together when we did that one. You kind of have the blueprint at the beginning, you have the kind of end result in your head a little bit, and just got to let it kind of twist and turn and, and do what it's doing. But there was a lot of kind of, there was a lot of thinking. There was a lot of not kind of like instinctive decisions. There was a lot of like what, you know what I mean? Taking our time with it and crafting it a little bit. But like that's another one where when it's come out, people are kind of complimenting how diverse it is. And they're saying they're picking up on things about kind of pushing new boundaries for Twisted Wheel and kind of taking the band to places where they might not have been before. That, that was the album, it was just kind of, it was a natural thing, just kind of let it develop how it develops, but like I said, it's deep. One word to describe that album, it would be deep. I think it's an amazing album, and I think you've just described it perfectly in a sense of, you know, like Nomad Hat, I mean, that is just straight out of the blocks, what a tune, instant yeah. guitars, but then so some of the tunes, you know, I mean, like uh, the title track, Satisfying a Ritual and Show Me, I mean, you've never you've never seen layers like that from Twisted Wheel before. It's like the, the the thing with Twisted Wheel is what I've always found interesting is it's the kind of the combat in between what people expect Twisted Wheel to be, but what Twisted Wheel can be. Especially when Ben's playing drums, who obviously I've been in bands with since I was like sixteen, whatever. He's got Warwick on guitar, Harry on bass guitar. As a band now, they're just capable of so much. And Johnny, as an artist, as a writer. You, you, unless you really know him and you kind of know what he's about and how he kind of what he's into so much depth to Johnny as an artist and as a person that was another thing with this album we ended up let's let's try and 
encourage Johnny to kind of express as much of that as possible, which when it when it when it did happen on songs like Satisfying the Ritual and stuff like that, that's when it we are kind of moving it to new places. But again, there are songs on there that are telecasters, they are bar chords and they're that's probably my favourite tune, track number two, just because it is kind of like the energy of Twisty Wheel, that's what people expect, that's what people want, and that's what they got on the album. But they also just got that's what I mean, they got the kind of the develop new territory kind of side of Twisty Wheel as well. Yeah, it does, because like you said, it, there's some, you know, sort of staple barnstorming Twisted Wheel trick tunes, as you've just mentioned, but like you say, it's, it's almost towards the end of the album, it gets a little bit more experimental and like the hip-hop elements almost, and like, like the last the last song, Show Me, was almost a bit, you know, nods to maybe Bowie or Leonard Cohen or... Well, it's just kind of like raw, do you know what I mean? It's There's a lot of stuff on there that, we just kind of went with it, and and we didn't we didn't kind of process it too much once it had been captured. We took a lot of our time kind of figuring things out and planning things once it had been captured. Then it wasn't kind of let's not spend ages mixing it. Let's keep it quite raw and quite honest and quite vulnerable. And all, all, once all those kind of things come across, that's what I mean. It's like you described then the barnstorming twisty wheel songs, and that's what I liked about them. You know. I, before we started properly recording, even the EP before the album, I've been watching them live. And when you actually kind of see what happens live on stage with those songs and the crowd, you, you, you get the big attachment that people have to the band. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And as a producer, obviously we've mentioned the talent you've worked with previously, but if you were advising any up and coming bands or if you were if you were wondering what was expected of a band in the year 2021 after obviously everything that's gone on over the last 12 months, what would you, what would your thoughts be on that? I think with bands now, I don't like, there's, there's one band that I'm working with called Ariel Salad, who are really cool. And they've got, there's a lot of other things that they're into as well, that they're kind of thinking now, how can we pretty much replace live gigs for the time being? And it is doing more things like they're, they're kind of like planning a podcast themselves. I know other bands are kind of planning more kind, more different kinds of content, more kind of like interview based stuff. Or it's just bands now have got to try and fill that gap that's been left by live performances, really. And that's this is it's an exciting thing because it's going to make bands branch off into different areas quite a lot, I think which I'm excited by. That's what I mean. If bands kind of said, if, if I w- watched someone do like a weekly podcast or whatever, or if I kind of, I don't know, even things like their Instagram content, I know they kind of put that across and style that. And you know I mean, looking after a kind of feed and a presentation of things. It's, it's like the music now is kind of, obviously it's important, but, but there's, loads of, there's loads of barriers before you get to the music. Like, what do you look like? Even things like what frames do you use around the edges of every Instagram bit of content, and even you know what I mean, filters and stuff like that, and what fonts, colors, this whole kind of like superficiality that's going on now. But it's not really a kind of I don't see it as too much of a bad thing, just because it's going to encourage artists to kind of be more productive and be more creative in different ways. Because you've just got to think as a, a consumer, what what would you want from don't know I don't, it's like it sounds weird to even kind of like a band calling them a band it's like more of an artist or more of a person or a collective or a community that you kind of 
what I kind of get involved with and follow online. That's why there's a lot of bands now and I'm encouraging them to kind of like come up with their own style, their own genre. Like when we had things like post-punk or punk or grunge is another good example. Encouraging them to kind of think outside the box a little bit and maybe come up with their own unique thing that can like translate to things like hashtags and stuff. So it's just that kind of developing this new kind of culture and new kind of just way of putting content out that I think for bands now in 2021, I wouldn't be making any big plans about live performances. I wouldn't be kind of relying on money to come in from gigs. I'd be looking at how I'm going to work Facebook adverts or what kind of merch I'm going to come up with and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's exciting. But I'm pretty confident that I know enough people in bands. I know they're, they're skilled and talented enough to overcome not being able to gig for one year, two years, three years. How long do you think it will be? That's a very good question. It's almost like the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, hopefully it's it's sooner rather than later. It's almost been uh, 10 months now as we speak. Um, you probably, yeah, you can probably write off at least the next six months, can't you? Um, I would like to personally think that there'll be gigs before the end of the year, but I don't, I don't know if I can honestly truly say that. But I agree. Go on, sorry. No, I agree with a lot of what you were saying there. It's like bands do have to think outside the box now, and you've seen it with you know some of the uh, some of the online stream gigs and um, from the independent artists, but also you know even the established artists. I think like before Christmas, you saw Liam Gallagher on a, a barge down the Thames putting that on a stream, and people are doing yeah, that's. That's what I mean. That's kind of thinking outside the box a little bit. But I think that what I, what I was kind of getting at before is it even like the small little details, kind of like, like we're saying, the frames around the edges of Instagram things. You know what I mean? It sounds a bit silly, but those kind of small details now are so important. And it's I, I, I work with enough creative people, enough talented people to know that. If they just, have, they just have to shift the mindset a little bit from let's not slog loads of amps into the back of a Renault Clio and park up in the centre of Manchester, lug it all up and down massive stairs to play to like three people and get no money for it. Why do we spend all the time and effort doing that when if we spent the same amount of time and effort doing a photo shoot or doing some artwork or, do you know what I mean, anything kind of creative where bands just have to realise that all the time and effort they were putting into one thing, they've now got to shift it and point it at something else. And that's something that I'm trying to get across to a lot of people, but... It's difficult because, like you said, it is the million-dollar question because it's a comfort blanket for so much in the music industry, just being able to go out and perform live and sell tickets and sell merch. And a lot of people have like been kind of stuck and they've been stranded and whatever, but you just have to be positive about it all and be optimistic about it and come up with ways of overcoming it and doing things a bit differently. And we, we was due it, not even music, so without getting super deep on this whole subject... We was due a big event of whatever we've kind of gone through to kickstart the future a little bit more. And even, you know what I mean? Not everyone's using the card for things now. As one example, pubs are closing down. Like old man's pubs are probably never coming back. Old theatres are probably never coming back. But these things had to go eventually. They're not going to survive well into the future, certain things. So hopefully live music isn't on that list. But maybe, the, like I said, the comfort blanket of running big tours and making loads of money just doing it that way maybe that might 
not come back. I don't know. We'll see. It's a good point. And like you say, it's, it's almost the unknown now, isn't it, at the minute? And like the aesthetics of an album cover used to be so important. Like you think about iconic album covers, even now, like the Sex Pistols, 1977, never mind the bollocks, here comes the Sex Pistol, and it just strikes you instantly. That album cover still now, like what, 44 years on almost. And then I suppose in the early noughties when you started getting your music through your iPod, and it was tiny and you didn't have a screen on it at first or an MP3 player, the album cover almost lost its impact because people were burning CDs and, like I say, you weren't really seeing what you were playing, you were listening to it. Whereas now, again, with social media, the aesthetics have taken have taken over again, like you were discussing before about different frames and fonts. and like There are, there are it's the, the superficial things. There are, they have taken over, but... In, in life they've taken over but I think that's that again it's not necessarily a bad thing because if once you kind of get through that if you kind of get into a band and they kind of lure you in with a cooler Instagram feed looks and you start flicking through some of the tunes on Spotify and you find a tune that you really like and you, you once you've kind of you know what I mean that, that that's a pretty good connection because you've got to kind of go deep into it to find that I know what you're saying with like the, the Sex Pistols album and stuff like that but when you when it was then you kind of only really had the album cover and the music and the lyrics. Like John Squire, that's why I really kind of, one of my biggest like guitar heroes, whatever, is John Squire because he's the guy who kind of did the artwork and like the front cover of the Roses album, the whole story behind it with the riots in Paris in 68 and the lemon yeah. stopping tear gas. And you've got the little French flag in the top left. All that story, that's John Squire saying, listen, I've got 11 songs of guitar parts and musical compositions. Me and Ian have got however many songs of lyrics and I've got the al- the album artwork. So that's kind of all he had really to offer everyone. Whereas now it's kind of like a constant stream of, that's why the guy who runs Spotify, who everyone kind of slagged off a couple of months ago, Daniel Elk, he's called, he came and said, artists have to do it differently now. They have to have a constant stream of, content they can't just be doing an album every three four years and he's right because you, you don't you, you have to maintain your your instagram it's just like an ever-changing constantly evolving album cover really that the, you know what i mean the top nine squares in your instagram feed and think of how many other things in life now at one time would have been a piece of wood with a sign on and a now changing electronic led displays so we're surrounded by it kind of all the time it's not a new thing but that's what i mean musicians and artists it's all about kind of just thinking a little bit differently and stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit, which the more artists that can persuade to do that, the better, really. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a massive influx as well of new music because, I mean, people are going to be, you know, there's so much writing material out there with everything that's happened as well. And like you mentioned before, Tino Kane, he's back in the studio. He, his debut album was out in... What, August 2020? He's already back in the studio ready for album number two now. Yeah. Tino's just an example of someone who's kind of a, a modern artist where he's put, putting songs down, recording them and putting them out and then he's doing some more and putting them out and that's kind of, that's a constant stream of content really. Yeah. It might not be kind of like one every single day, not that constant, but do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just that way of thinking of always kind of being creative means you've always got an outlet for it and once that kind of lines up a little bit more which i think it will do i think like saying new music it's like what it's i don't know i'm just trying to kind of think beyond new music even as as a concept now where 
it's not just new music, it's new artwork, it's new designs, it's new colours, it's new. This is where I go on these Kanye West style long rants, but yeah. If you if you've if you're into Kanye West, which I am, I think he's an absolute I think he's the most misunderstood artist on planet Earth. And his old kind of thing is about linking colours and presentation and art art direction with music and stuff like that. And that's he's is the modern the the modern artist really I think Kanye because yeah I remember his uh, production of when Black Skinhead came out and that's an absolute tune yeah that's what I met him then I went to that Jules Holland in 2013 oh did you right yeah I was there I was stood next to King Leon like this big American rock band with like the big massive amps and he was like wow this is like these are the real deal I mean four hillbillies just all going at it and they finished the tune and they all sat down and I was like, that was dead cool. They all had the little Jack Daniels and drinking it. And then every single one of them got the Reese again and started smoking the Reese, which was a bit <laughs> hilarious. Jesus. <But> yeah. <laughs> so how did you get to go to Jules Holland then? Were you uh, in the audience or was it something through the music? Yeah. No, just in the audience. I spent the first 15 minutes dying to use the toilet because I didn't know whether we was allowed to leave or not because it was like live TV and I think Sting <laughs> was on there. But at the end of that, Watching Jules Holland, Caleb Follower, like Kings Leon, and Kanye West all have a little chat together for like five minutes. Like, what the fuck can them three possibly be talking about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you could, I know we can't go for the we can't go for the pint at the minute. But if you could go for the pint with anyone from the music world, who would it be? Uh, Tom York, uh, Radiohead. Tom York, good choice. Maybe not a pint. Maybe more like a green tea or something. Whatever he's into, but. <laughs> he's, he's if Kanye is the most misunderstood artist on the planet Tom York is the greatest artist to ever step foot on planet Earth and he's a special yeah special special band I went to uh, went to Glastonbury uh, three years ago now uh, and the headlined 2017 I went I was at Glastonbury in 2011 when Radiohead was the secret guest on the park stage and that was when they played the King's Lim King of Limbs before it even come out I think right yeah well, I think it had come out by that point and that just blew my head off but Glastonbury 2011 was such a slog with it felt like a like a military operation like World War 2 it was raining in mud everywhere and it was just angry and I thought I'm never going back to Glastonbury again until I'm in luxury with a camper van or whatever but but watching Radiohead, like you said, about five years ago, headline that Glastonbury, that's the first time I thought, do you know what, I'm very jealous that I'm not there for that. <laughs> do you know something? It it's, it's huge, isn't it? Like, Glass, I mean, I don't think you appreciate it until you get there how big it is. And I got, to, we, we were lucky, it was a, it was a sunny year, um, but we got talking to people who said they'd been there the year before and it was just a nightmare getting across the campsite yeah. in the wellies. Yeah. It's <laughs> I do not envy Glass anybody. No, well, it's it's one of them things where you, when people say to you about um, what's Glastonbury like, or I don't know if I should go or not, or yeah, what I go on, it's you know, everyone says, oh, if you watch that on Netflix, or if you listen to that, and you're like, yeah, all right then, but you never do. Glastonbury is one of them things where if someone says to you, you need to go and experience it, then you you do actually have to go and experience it. You do. There's so much there. It's just, oh, it's it's insane. The world's, they've got, I mean, I love all, like, the little Harry Krishna tent and everything. They're, like, the world's smallest nightclub. So there's this nightclub in a photo booth and you can get about four people in there. <laughs> yeah. It's full of, like, little random things like that. But, and that's, that's what I mean. You get there on, like, the, the Wednesday morning or whatever it was. 
and, and by like Friday morning, once you've, you've done two days of partying and you, you're rough, that's when all the best bands in the world show up to play <laughs> on the best stages in. So it's like, right, this will sort me out going around, surely. Who's on the other stage or who's on John Peel or it's called band spotting. <laughs> so talking about band spotting then, give me your hot picks for 2021. Uh, there's a young band called Dogship from Preston who are pretty creative, pretty abrasive, but very cool band. Um, Tragicomic, my mate Chris, his album, uh, I think it came out recently. It might have been this year. I don't even know what year in or what, but <laughs> his album's come out recently and that is a, a serious work of art. So I encourage everyone to go and listen to that, Tragicomics. And then we've got Afternoon People, another cool young band. Another band of lads from Manchester who just know what they're doing, have that drive, have that ambition, have the direction. It's like, yeah, cool. Obviously, the out chimes we mentioned before. Um, Mercy Kelly, who are being managed by Harry, the bass player in Twisted Wheel. They're from oh, right. Right. They're a really cool band, like The Cure, um, Big Country, another band they kind of influenced by. So Mercy Kelly, they're cool. There's Joel Jordy as well. He's um, kind of reinventing kind of Britpop for like 2021 in this weird kind of age that we're in. It, he's a very interesting artist, Joel Jordy. Go and check him out. It's Chloe.gf, who's a young artist who's kind of got a, a very kind of natural, organic style, but there's like a little kind of, a little weird, mysterious element to it. So she's really cool as well, Chloe.gf. Who else have we got? Um, Scott Dunning is another new artist. He's like a solo kind of singer songwriter thing. If you're into like Jerry Cinema and all that kind of thing, yeah, without yeah. it being, but more cooler and it's a bit more. It's it's not cringe as, as Jerry Cinema is. Scott's dead cool. His songwriting is really like well above his years. He's like a proper mature writer. So Scott Dunning. We've mentioned Van Trails as well. Um, Swarth Martyrs are another cool band who I've done some tunes with last year, this year, whenever it is. Uh, and a real seller as well as as we've mentioned previously, they're kind of like uh, Manchester's like kind of answer to what the modern day punk band. And well, Shotty Horror as well. I've been doing some tunes with him. Yeah. Shotty wants to do like guitar album, and then he gets bored, and then he wants to do like his hip hop album. So he's constantly just kind of like keeping up with Shotty. So he's it's good to have skills in all sorts of different music with, with an artist like that. But yeah, I think that's a pretty conclusive list of everyone I think should have a good 2021 and should kind of do a good job of putting across their kind of vision and their, their creativity without it kind of being, you know what I mean? It, like what I was saying before, the new way of being a band in 2021. I think these artists are, are going to do really well at that kind of stuff. Well, we've got about 10 picks there. And if you don't mind, uh, Dean, if you want to inbox me all of those guys, I will give them all a push and uh, I'll definitely check them out on the podcast. Yeah, man, I will do. Nice one. So talking, we've spoke a little bit about gigs, but let's let's imagine we can, we can go back anywhere now. So any gig anywhere in history, who would you go and watch? Uh, well... I think my, one of my favourite gigs to put on YouTube when you need like someone to put on in the background, or well, even when you want someone to put on and pay close attention to it, is 
Nirvana at the Paramount Theatre in Seattle in 1992. Legendary. That's a really good gig. But I, I, I don't know. Something a bit closer to home. I, I was... I've always looked... I've seen a few clips on YouTube of The Verve at Hay Hall in 1998. That looked like... I'd love to have been there, actually. Because I like that... The Verve live, that kind of like forceful kind of energy they had, which doesn't... I don't know. When you listen to like the earlier Verve tunes, it's just Nick McCabe, really. I'm a big Nick McCabe fan of like his kind of guitar playing, his kind of sound. I would have enjoyed to kind of experience that live. Yeah, top band, and I know a few people have mentioned that gig to me as well. And just because it was like in Wigan and they're from Wigan, I know I'm yeah. from Bolton, I shouldn't, shouldn't really kind of say that, but we haven't really got anything as cool as the Verve from Bolton. Yeah, I think we're going to pick the Verve, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the Verve just because it's not, it's not a big long flight to um, the west coast of America like so I would be in this time machine aeroplane that we've got. <laughs> that, see that, but that's a little bit of Alan Partridge there. That's kind of rubbed off on me just through, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, Dean, top man, mate. Thank you for coming on. No problem, dude. I loved it. We got, uh, you know, we got a nice in-depth producers look on, and uh, again, the you know the state of, of where we are in the music business, and you know a projection of probably what's to come this year as well, and uh, also for your picks. And like I say, we'll uh, we'll promote those guys on the podcast. And guys out there, I know that you've listened to a Dean Glover produced tune, so you've got to check him out, give him a follow, get on his socials, because there's going to be plenty more good work coming from this guy. Thanks, Dean. Sweet, man. Cheers. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, take it easy, mate. Thank you.